0: Hey, this is Joseph Koslan with Eureka Business Group. And if you want to learn more about real estate investing, syndications, and multifamily investing, listen to my good friend, Sam Newell's podcast.
1: Welcome to the Recession Proof Real Estate Investing Podcast.
0: Join your host, Sam Newell, as he educates you on how to make profitable, low-risk real estate investments that will cash flow through any economy. Hear interviews with the top real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the country to find out what they've learned and implemented since the 2008 recession. With over 10 years in real estate investing, it has become Sam's goal to help others invest for double-digit returns, but to also stay safe and not get caught in the next downturn. Tune in and become
1: Recession Proof. Really quick, Joseph, introduce yourself to my listeners. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, tell us what you're currently working on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I was born and raised in Israel. That's where the heavy Texan accent comes from. (laughs) And I moved to the United States in 2007 with my wife. We were actually investing in real estate. Before when we, we we came to the states uh, back home in Israel and then when we came here in 2007 we were lucky enough to have the insight that this is with everything blowing up around us it's probably going to be the best market in our lifetime to invest so we sold our property back home and we brought the money over here to the states and we started investing here and just like everybody else we started with a single and a duplex and another single right and it's kind of like and then life happens right you know kids careers everything else I had. 17 years career in IT. And then we both got licensed just to get to know the systems, the laws, the the process, how it works around here. And um, somewhere around 2015, I kind of realized that single families are, you know, how we got started. And I got started with rich dad, poor dad, like a lot of other people. Yeah. Uh, but there's a fallacy in the whole concept of single family when they tell you, oh, there's cash flow, there's cash flow, there's cash flow. And you can buy a property and have a cash flow, $100, 200 $300 a month ongoing. And then all of a sudden, you'll get a big ticket item, yep. a roof, foundation, uh, water heater, AC unit, fence, whatever it is. And that just wipes away, not months, years of cash flow. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened to us in in 2015. So long story short, I had to cut about $45,000 in, in checks within six months on our, on oh, our wow. portfolio. Ouch. And yeah, and I told my wife, that's just not sustainable. Yeah. Uh, so dug into the whole commercial real estate world. I dug into other alternative investment and just multifamily made the most sense. So that's how we got started in multifamily. And here today, well, since then, today, we own and operate a little over 500 units right now. Most of them in Texas secondary market. And that's what we've been doing. And you um, live I also, in
1: Plano, is that right?
0: Yeah, I live in Plano, which is just north of Dallas. I should also mention that I am a commercial real estate broker, which we focus on multifamily. So that brings value all around. Right. So on the broker side, our client gets the value of working not with a sales guy, but with someone that is actually own and operate apartments. So we can relate to our sellers and understand how their numbers work and and how the properties operate. And we can also help our buyers make the right choice and the right decision. And then on the other side, it helps our acquisition investors by having access to systems not a lot of people have. And by you know, getting exposure to transactions in the market that are not very public because it's not like VMLS that everything gets published, right?
1: Right. It's the and Texas is <laughs> in,
0: yeah, Texas is a non disclosure state. So even if yep. you want to go dig the county records, you're not going to find it over there.
1: Same as Utah. I want to give our listeners a little bit more background. I went to a Rod Khleif event. I, I've been a broker for nine years. I got out of residential and building fourplexes about a year and a half ago. And I'd been wanting to syndicate for a while because I had all these investors just like you buying single family duplexes, fourplexes, and they're getting like a four or 5% cash on cash. Maybe they're getting a six, 7% cap rate if they're lucky. And I'm like, man, I don't know how sustainable this is. Like if if there's another crash... I I really don't want to be the guy that sold them the fourplex that they struggled on. So I started educating my investors saying, hey, you need to have six months of mortgage payments saved up. And almost none of them did. And so I kind of started calling my investors and figuring out where they were. And most of them just were cashing the checks, throwing in their bank account, not saving anything. And and if they did have, like you, that $45,000 event where they had to replace a roof, it was gonna come out of their own personal savings. So those those are some big red flags for me. But I, but when I left the company I was building fourplexes with, I immediately no longer had a conflict of interest. So I flew up to Chicago, went to a Rod Cleef event and he talked to me about coaching. I said, look, I hate gurus. I can't stand them. I, I want real people doing real deals. And he said, Well I've got a coach for you. So basically what I did is I joined coaching and I said, I need a good coach that knows what he's doing. So I wanted to compliment you, Joseph, that we sat down, we talked on the phone a couple times and I said, I, I think this guy knows what he's doing. Um, I think Joseph's doing deals. I think he really knows what he's doing. And, and so I appreciate that. But I wanted to kind of get your take on the multifamily market because since you and I started coaching over a year and a half ago. I mean, I learned a lot. I feel like I already knew a ton about multifamily, but you really have a good experience. You've taken down some big deals. And so tell me about your first multifamily deal and kind of how you took that down.
0: Yeah, so the first one we bought was a 22 unit here in North Dallas. And it was the hardest one to find because when you get started multifamily and... and That's just the nature of of the industry. It used to be a big boys club. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have the network and you don't have the connections, then you can't get into the big boys club. So I was reaching out to brokers and and everything, and I wouldn't get replies. Nobody answered my calls. Nobody replied my emails. It was just impossible to get any decent deal. And I already knew back then that, If Marcus and Milichev sends it on an email, then millions of people have seen it. Oh, yeah. Right? Uh, So, and and I'm just saying Marcus and Milichev, but you can replace that name with CBRE, Burkadia, JLL, HFF, any one of the big guys out there. So I said, you know what? I'm a broker. I'm just going to go out and source it myself. right? Why do I need to wait until these guys will pick up the phone? So I did cold calling, I did yellow letters, I did postcards, I did whatever I could. And I spoke with a few owners along the way, and and some of them were too expensive or too far or too small or too big or the wrong asset class. Until I found a guy, he was 80 years old, 80, built a, he was a custom home builders for decades. Uh And then in 2007, he built a 22-unit apartment complex. And I went out there. I met the guy, talked to him a few times. I really liked the property. The location is phenomenal. It's a 2007 build. So it was a brand new build, kind of a 10-year-old when I bought it and less than 10 years old when I bought it. And then just started working with him. And turns out that he was open to do seller financing. He, let, he basically let me in at 15% down. Wow. Yeah. I had the 25% down, but I told him, look, I want some money for operations, right? So uh-huh. we kind of, w- what I like about real estate is you can get creative, right? Yeah. You can do whatever you want. So we built a structure that allows me to get in at 15% down. And then every quarter, I, add another $5,000 towards the principal on top of the the regular amortized payment until I hit the 25% and then I can resume the regular amortization schedule. Wow, so, that's cool. So it was, yeah, it was just a creative way to keep some of my money in my pocket for operations, for improvement and so on. And really, that's how we got our first one. It was the kind of people that i I would do a handshake deal with this guy, right? He was just <laughs> phenomenal world war two generation kind of guy awesome. um, just a stand up guy
1: cool. that's really cool man and and I really like that that's that's smart. So you put fifteen percent down on a t- less than ten year old property and just seller financed it and worked out how to pay up to the 25% as you operated. So you took that money out of operations as you had it successfully running as a multifamily deal. I like that. That's awesome. And, and you're right. You can get super creative with, with real estate and then it can be a lot of fun. So talk to me about economies of scale because you sell large properties. You've taken down large properties. Is that a deal you would do again? Or like a lot of people, are you wanting just to go bigger?
0: So a different voice out there, and you know that more than anyone else, right? I told you a million times, syndication is a last resort, Yep. right? And I know there's a lot of gurus out there that preach syndication, syndication, syndication. And and you got to pause for a second and look at it uh, from a different perspective. If you can buy it on your own, buy it on your own. No headaches, no partners no security lawyers involved, no SEC, which is a federal agency to deal with, and you get to keep all the profits and all the tax benefits. Uh, If you you can't do it on your own, but you can do it with two or three JV partners, then do it that way. Again, small amount of investors, no headache, no SEC filings, and you get to keep a larger chunk of the tax benefits. Syndication yep. is a last resort. It's only if it's a too big of a property, you ran out of capital, you don't know enough investors that have those big checks to help you uh, uh, close on a bigger deal on your own, then you go syndication. But it yep. brings it pros and cons with it, right? Sure. You just got to be aware of it. Because here's the reality. Most of the profits in a syndication goes to the investors. Mm-hmm. So... For example, if your investors expect a seven percent return, and I'm not going to dive into cash and cash versus IRR and all that for sure, great. If they expect a seven percent return and you want a piece of the action, now you need to find a deal that is a nine percent return. Yeah. So they can get the seven, and you can keep the two for yourself. But these deals are getting harder and harder to find in 2019, and and then what happens is people start compromising and people start using fees instead of profit splits and, and in order to get their, uh, their part of the, the the deal. And that's where things start to spiral down in some cases.
1: No, I like it. And and when we started talking just a little bit ago, one of the main things that we were talking about that kind of scares both of us is people doing deals just to get those fees because they, they can't find a good enough deal that's going to cash flow like crazy. They're not making much money. In the first 18 months to two years because of, you know, reposition and they want to quit their day job. So they're, they're doing deals to get acquisition fees. And, and just like you, that makes me nervous. And, and it's a little bit crazy to see the deals they're doing.
0: Well, nervous on one end, but really happy on another end. Right. <laughs> right, Because, you know, at some point these deals will turn around and we'll pick them up pennies on a dollar. Yep. So that's just it is what it is, and, and if the hardest thing is, you can go through right now in a market like this is sit on the sidelines, right? To see those Facebook uh, uh, posts of, we just closed another one, we just closed another one, we yeah. just closed another one, yeah. knowing that you just underwrote 100 deals and none of them made sense.
1: Yep, it's tough.
0: So it's, tough. So it, it's not easy, and it makes you kind of uh, wonder if you're doing something right or not at some point, but stick to your guns, stick, be honest with yourself and, and be honest with your numbers. And one way I found is, is a good way to kind of make sure that I don't fall into those pitfalls is in every one of our investments, me and my partner are the biggest investors. I like it. And and it comes from the place of what I said, syndication is last resort, but it does not change my property criteria. So if I'm syndicating a deal, it's because I'm just not liquid enough. Otherwise, I would have bought it by myself. So naturally, I want to put as much of my own money into the deal as I can. I love it. So that's what we've been doing.
1: I, I talked to a syndicator about a week ago. He said, Oh, I never put my own money in my own deals. Cause I like to diversify. And I was like, so the, but if you're selling those deals hard to these investors, you're raising money. Like that's one way I actually sell as I always tell people, you know, this is a deal I would do. And well, actually I am doing, I'm putting my own money in. So it was kind of interesting hearing him say, no, I, I never put money in my own deals. Cause I like to diversify. It's like, so wait, you don't have confidence in your own deal or, or is it not a good deal then or or what's going on
0: well how does he diversify though
1: he puts his money in lps he goes as a limited partner in other people's deals
0: so, trust so he trusts them says. more than himself
1: yeah exactly <laughs>
0: that makes no sense to me
1: oh goodness well um let's go back to um you know doing <coughs> a deals a syndication ver- versus just joint venturing, how many partners do you think you would have max in a joint venture?
0: You can have 30. It, 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 the, the number of investors is not the criteria. It's the uh, structure. Sorry, I meant, how much
1: would Joseph Goslin have ideally in a joint venture deal?
0: No, but all, all I'm saying is it comes down to the legal structure yeah. and the expectations of the investors. If your yeah. investors expect to be limited partners, right? In a way, then now we're talking a different structure than just a general partnership. Yep. Right? Yep. Uh for me, probably two, three is is mm-hmm. where I would feel comfortable. I would go four, maybe, if we all know each other. Right? Yep. Yep. So so we're all part of the, the the mastermind, right? So if a four or five of us want to get together and take down a property on our own, no investors, okay. We we can talk about that, but yeah. not that easily, because uh, this is my the, the broker in me talking right now. Yeah. Most of the deals out there that are just a complete fall apart thing are usually due to bad partnerships. Yep. Yep. That that that's that's something that continues to amaze me every time is to see how easily people jump into partnerships. Oh yeah. Um, And it's kind of like Facebook is really horrible about these things, right? It's kind of like I'll see a post of, we have this deal, blah, 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 and we need to raise $2 million, and I'm looking for GPs to help me. And people would respond, yeah, I have experience. I'll jump in. I'll help, and I'll partner with you. That's a random person off Facebook.
1: Yeah. And you're going to
0: jump into a partnership with them? Yep. That, That amazes me.
1: I won't jump in partnerships with half the people I know well or most of the people I know well, I would say. And it's not even that I don't trust them. It's because we think differently. We view deals differently. And when it, you know, push comes to shove, I want to make sure we're doing things right. And in a way that makes sense to me. And, and I think that's the biggest issue I've seen with, you know, the partnerships that we've been offered or we've been asked to raise money for, for people on their deals is, I just don't feel comfortable. I don't I don't like the way they look at deals or the way they talk to investors or the way potentially they're going to treat my investors or or treat the deal and that's why I kind of asked your your that question is for me syndication makes more sense because I don't like letting other people make decisions because I've had partners who made stupid decisions who really put a ton of pressure on me to do things that didn't make sense on the properties that we purchased or, you know, the properties that we developed where, where we lost huge credibility because they didn't keep their end of the bargain. And I'd rather be able to fire a property manager than have a property manager partner on a deal. And actually you have a story about that if, if you'd like to share it, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. A joint venture, I think, could be awesome with the right people. Like my partner, Lyndon, I do a joint venture with him any day. There's maybe one or two other people I do a joint venture with. That that just scares me, is giving the decision-making ability to other people that may or may not make the best decisions.
0: Well, and that's the difference between an operator and a syndicator, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want a quick, easy way to figure them out, if, if they if they show up to an appointment in a Mercedes or a Lexus or one of those, they're a syndicator. If they show up in a truck, they're an operator. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. But but really, it, the, the operator is the person that makes the calls, makes the shots, that, that yep. drives, that talks to the property management, that shows up on site and so on. So people like you and me have that need to be the operator. Yeah, uh, because when you're the operator and you raise money, you you basically tell the investor trust me. Yep. When you're a syndicator and you have a a different operator that's not you, then you basically tell your investors, give me the money, trust him. Yep. And and that's a that's a big statement, especially for people you just met or people that you don't have a really close relationship with, which is why I'm always like I said amazed to see how easily people form partnerships and jump into that
1: yeah and and do you think it's more they're jumping into it because they're inexperienced and haven't been burned or do you think it's also or maybe more because they could have been burned in the past but they just really want to do deals to get paid What what do you think it is
0: it could be either one of those but it could also be i don't want to be an operator being yeah. an operator is not easy you know yeah. that i know yeah. that Right, you get the phone call uh, in the middle of Memorial Day weekend that the gutters broke and two of the units are flooding. You get that phone call. Yep. Right, and and some people just don't want to get that phone call. They don't want to get any phone calls. They just want to get the uh, uh, report at the end of the month and send the communication to their investors once a quarter. Right. Uh, So so there's a big difference between operators and non-operators, and some people are just not interested in being operators
1: sure and there's nothing wrong with that i, I met a, a guy actually i would trust and do a deal with and i know his criteria and and he he vets his operators very very well i like him a lot i know uh, that guy he, and
0: i like him too
1: but uh, he just doesn't have any interest in in those phone calls
0: exactly and that that's really comes down to uh, are you an operator or not right and yep. if but there's got to be an operator so if you don't want to be an operator, you'll have to partner with an operator. It's that simple.
1: Yep. yep. Well, and so I'm, I'm kind of curious. Let's say you were to partner with a new operator. What would you look for in a partner? Let's say you find a deal that you just can't pass up in Dallas. You don't have the bandwidth, but you know a guy that you think could be the right operator for you. What, what criteria would you be looking for?
0: Well, there's a few things that you should look for in an operator, right? One is, and that's true to any GP in the deal, is having skin in the game, Mm -hmm. right? Someone that just brings sweat equity can easily just walk away. Yep. So having skin in the game is something that I would look for. Uh, Experience is obviously, track record is obvious, but uh, things like, is it their full-time job? Yep. What are they doing? What happens if, the shit hit the fan and somebody needs to be on site for three weeks. Yeah. Do they have the bandwidth? Do they have the capacity? Do they have the will? Right. And, and that's something that a lot of people don't realize. It's kind of like, well, what do I need to be on site? I have a property management company. Well, if you yeah. have to fire them and have a transition, you're going to be on site quite a bit, right? For the transition. Or, if, if there's something going on and the property management keeps fumbling the ball, you can stay on the sideline and see them fumble the ball, or you can pull your sleeves and jump into the trenches and keep things together until you find out what's going on and how to solve the problem. Yep. So, so that's what I would look for in an operator, someone that is willing to pull their sleeves up and jump into the mud and and, and you know deal with whatever it is that needs to be dealt with.
1: Yeah. So so they have a track record. They have skin in the game, but you can also tell they'll go to bat and they'll go to work when, cause multifamily, that's just the nature of the game. Stuff is going to happen. You're not buying typically a brand new property. Even if you are, there's going gonna to going to be stuff that comes up. Uh, we just had a windstorm on one of the properties that um, I took down with some partners in Dallas and half the roof blew off yeah. and insurance wanted to give us 50,000 after working with an, an adjuster, we I think we got just just over a million dollars because that's how much wow. it really needed.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I, like I mentioned, I have a ten year old property, and we just got hit with a lightning, which fried all the security cameras and some of the breaker panels. And oh wow, you know, even with the new properties, you're going to have yeah. issues and challenges that you're going to have to tackle.
1: I've never heard of a property getting hit by lightning. That's crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Well, hey, I, I have a question that I ask all my guests, and I usually ask it at the first part, but that we had so much to talk about, and I, I kind of skipped over it. But I, I am curious. This is kind of the theme of my podcast. Joseph, what do you believe is more important, work ethic or talent? And what, and, and what has gotten you the furthest in your career? I've
0: always said that hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard.
1: Hey, I like it. Yeah.
0: It's that simple. Heads down, grind, and persevere. It's gonna get you through things where you can be the most talented person. I think I gave you that example a while ago, right? But if you put me, that I'm in my 40s, never played basketball professionally, right, uh, mm-hmm. on on the penalty line, and right next to me, you can put Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal. You pick whichever basketball player you believe is the best in all times, and It's a competition who scores first, but Michael Jordan can't score – can't shoot anything, right? He cannot throw the ball. Yeah. Who has a better chance of hitting that goal? I can throw 100 of them. I'll hit one, right? Yeah. He's the most talented person in the history, but he's not allowed to throw. He's going to miss 100% of the shots he's not going to take.
1: And let's face it, you'd probably beat Shaq either way, right? I mean – he's at the foul line Yeah, at the foul
0: line is a different conversation yeah
1: no but yeah (laughs) if if they're not shooting the shot I mean that that's been my biggest thing as well I've seen talented people extremely talented people not do nearly as well as me because I'll just grind I'll just grind and hustle and grind and hustle and keep working and eventually figure it out and and I feel like you know you came to the U.S. geez I mean less than was about 15 years ago now 12, 12 years ago, you said 2005 or 2007, seven, seven, 2007. I mean, you're, you're killing it. And um, not that you're not talented, but I can tell you are the type of guy that I mean, I remember calling you when you're driving to different assets, six hours away from your house to make sure that they're taken care of. And so no, I, I agree with you. I think I think the hustle and the grind is, is the most important. So tell me, I mean, we've got a couple minutes left. I want to hear a story about maybe a deal you've done that you think would benefit our listeners, maybe a story of what not to do. I don't don't know. Can you think of anything to a story about a property that you've taken down or or a deal that you've sold?
0: What are the, what is the lessons we're trying to achieve here?
1: You know, I I think about half our listeners are, have never taken out a deal. So half my investors that I work with have never invested in real estate. They're looking to get into their first deal. They've just started making money. And half of them, they've bought fourplexes from me. They've bought properties. They, they're they just looking to find tips and strategies from ultra experienced people like you. So, I mean, honestly, anything would be great.
0: Gotcha. So we talked about picking apart, right? So I think that's going to be critical, especially if you're just getting started Find people that are on the same wavelength as you, same Mm -hmm. vision, right? You can't partner a person that wants to turn something out in two to three years and a person that wants to hold for 15 years. They cannot partner because very soon they're going to bang heads against should we sell or not, right? Um, What I like to have as an ultimate test for a potential partner is what does your gut tell you? If anything happens to you, right? You get hit by a bus tomorrow. How will that person treat you and your family, treat your family? Yeah. Right. I like and, that. and and I think that's, that's a critical thing to, to kind of think about when you pick a partner. The second important thing w- when you get started is selecting a market. I think a lot of people underestimate that it's going, Oh, Dallas is hot. Let's go to Dallas. So Austin is hot. Let's go to Austin. Yeah. And it's it's a lot more critical than that, especially when you get started and the properties are smaller. So if you live in Utah, don't buy a twenty unit in Dallas. Yeah. It's too small to justify all the travel that <laughs> you want to put in.
1: Can I share a story really quick? Cut you off. Yeah. I was on a coaching call with you. We were talking to you about sixteen doors in College Station, Texas, right by next to Texas AM. It was a good deal. And bef- before we could get into the deal, you go, Sam, why the hell would you fly to College Station for 16 doors? He's like, and you were like, all right, next deal. What else you got for me? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's actually, thank you. That's a really good, it was a good deal. And, you know, my partner and I just really wanted to do a deal. And you're like, no, why the hell would you ever fly there for 16 doors? And so. Well, I'm sure like- it's
0: a, Great deal for local investors. No no doubt about that. Or someone that already have a hundred or two hundred doors in college station. Right. Right. But for you, what's the flight price from Utah to college station?
1: Yeah, I think each trip was gonna be a couple grand, you know, with rental car hotels, everything. It was right? a couple so, grand per person.
0: So so this sixteen doors is just not gonna be able to carry all that travel costs yep. between the flights and the rental cars and the hotels and and showing up to meet a, a, the contractors or, or an insurance adjuster when something happens—just too much cost to overload on a, such a small property.
1: Yeah. So, so p- what you're saying is, pick a market you can get to easily. If you're not, you don't have relationships there or a partner there. You have got to get be able to get there easily, or you've got to be able to take down large deals to justify the cost of getting there. And I, I think yeah. that's great advice.
0: Yeah, so if you're going smaller and smaller would be anything under, let's say, 50 units, give or take, try to stay within two to three hours of your backyard. Drive. Yep. Right? Uh, As long as you can get in there and back the same day, you won't feel as bad as getting on an airplane and and traveling and then renting a car and then getting a hotel and, and so on and so on.
1: Yep. Great advice. Great advice. Well, geez, any last any last thoughts for? Well, well tell me this: we you and I talked about the market. Kind of, there's a lot of people hovering, speculating, curious about the market. We have an election year coming up. We have all this rates and the Fed and Fannie Mae. I'm just kind of curious what you think is happening with the market currently, and where you think the value add is. Do you think it's in finding off-market deals where there's a ton of value add? Do you think it's buying newer properties where you don't? have a ton of repairs, just kind of curious what your temperature gauge on the market is right now.
0: Well, the answer to your question is a little bit more complicated than just my opinion, right? Because sure. everybody have a different set of circumstances. Mm-hmm. If you are a single owner that just got $1031, 5000000 million out of their own uh, previous property, and you're going to buy something on your own, different answer than it would be than your brand new syndicator getting into the game. Right, uh, right, because what would be a great deal for the first guy would be a horrible deal for the second guy, yep, so I think some of the markets in the country are overpriced and over there's just too much activity right now in the Dallas Fort Worth market, almost every transaction I see on the market it have been transacted in the last three years, Wow, so now it's wow. kind of like a a, a musical chair of. I added a little bit more, more value add. I'm going to sell it to somebody that is a lot more optimistic than me. Yep. And let's keep that uh, musical chair game going. And it's rare, it's really rare to see a deal these days coming across in the DFW market or in Austin market for the same purposes, right? That haven't been touched in the last few years.
1: It's that's, um, that's funny you say that because every deal I've been sent from DFW is 75% of the units have been upgraded, value added, rents have been raised, and there's some upside left, but just enough to get people, optimistic people, to to get interested and write offers.
0: Yeah, and and one of the main brokerages out there, I'm not going to name them, I noticed that all of their emails coming out recently, their value-add component is heavily dependent on, you can lease washer-dryers. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, no. <laughs> if, you can, not, but
1: there's a ton of maintenance and ton of liability. and
0: Not really worth it because there are yeah. companies out there that will lease them for about the same price you're going to ask them. So why would someone take it from you, right? And why would you sure. deal with everything you just mentioned? So if half the value-add proposition is that, and then that's a very, very thin deal. Yeah. Um, so, so that's kind of like, I've seen that. I think there's still value in the secondary markets out there. You can still find owners that are more reasonable, but they're not mm-hmm. stupid. You can't right. find, you know, I see a lot of people coming from the single family world where they did wholesaling or flipping and they're still expecting grandma on the <laughs> other side, right? Yeah. It's like, you're not dealing with grandma. The guy that owns 120 units, He's a sophisticated person. Yeah, right? yeah, he's not gonna just give it give it away. So, uh, just the deals are getting harder to find, and and the secondary market is where you can find still find some of them. Uh, I haven't seen a really good deal in Dallas, Austin, Houston, San Antonio in a really long time.
1: Got it. No, I like it. Secondary markets. I I think that's great advice and that's where we've been looking west texas and some secondary markets because you're right you know we we don't need something that's already had value added and and they're stretching the numbers to make it look enticing so well hey we're, we're about out of time my friend tell tell our listeners uh, about ebg acquisitions and tell them about how to contact you if you want to be contacted i assuming you do you're a great broker specializing in multifamily. tell us a little bit about what you got going on there
0: Yeah, so the easiest way to find me is online anywhere. It doesn't matter. We have any social media channel out there available. But the easiest way is to find us on our website, ebgtexas.com. And we actually have a, we started a new initiative. We have an investor's video library. We already have already over 20 videos that we recorded uh, that talk about different subjects in multifamily. Nice. And there's short three to seven minutes uh, videos that can really help you understand. We have, for example, a four-part series about multifamily financing. Not all, but most of the main different ways you can finance multifamily. So we try to bring value whichever way we can. And all my contact details are on that website. My phone number, my email, feel free to reach out.
1: Yeah, and I'll put it in the show notes as well so that people can reach out to you.